0: I'm James Lowe, the senior pastor of Bethel World Outreach Church, and I just want to welcome you to this moment. Today, I want to introduce to you my ministry partner, Dr. Rice Brooks. Now, he's best known for this book in my hand, God's Not Dead. It inspired a movie that touched millions of lives around the planet. I want you to know what I love most about him is that he spends time with college students. In 40 different nations, he's ministered to college students. I have the distinct honor of introducing to you my friend, Dr. Brooks.
1: Thank you, Pastor James, and thank you for watching. Uh, Wherever you're watching from or whenever you're watching, we hope that this will help you, that this will encourage you. In fact, that's the very simple theme of this message. It's help. Thinking of the song when I was really, really young by the Beatles, Help, I Need Somebody, not just anybody. And I think that should be our qualification. We don't just need help from anybody. We need, we need help from the God that we're talking about. We need help from the real God. Many times when we get into situations like these, we, we pray these simple prayers of help me, Lord, but not really understanding uh, the instructions about prayer or are there any stipulations or provisions that he says about, you know, if you want my help, here's what you do. I mean, we, we have government stimulus packages and we have all kinds of conditions. And many times we don't realize that there are, there are instructions in God's word when it comes to calling on him for help. But, but know this, is it calling on his name? Those who call upon the name of the Lord, it says will be delivered. So that's not a, that's not a bad prayer, it's, it's a starting place, but we wanna go a little bit deeper. Pastor James mentioned that I speak a lot on university campuses, and because of the book, God's Not Dead, it gives me a chance to travel around the world and to have this conversation many times with with more unbelievers than believers. And when skeptics come, unbelievers come, the question always lingers in the room. The elephant in the room is why. Why would God let bad things happen? Why is this? Why is there a virus? Why are there terrorist attacks? Why are all these problems here? Why couldn't God have created a world where where we have no problems? You know, almost 20 years ago, uh, after the terrorist attacks, uh, we took a team from this church from Bethel, and we drove the day after on the 12th of September when we got to New York City on the 13th of September and walked the streets just to pray for people. And I remember there was a, a woman from MSNBC named Alice Ree, uh two-time Emmy Award-winning uh, journalist. And Alice looked at me, and she said, this city is open and hurting, what are you gonna do about it? In fact, she went on to say that she had covered the Columbine massacre, the shootings, uh, the mass killings at Columbine High School, and here she was in New York City seeing this devastation, and she said, I was just about to give up on my faith, and then this group of, of Christians, these ministers show up from Nashville, uh, we came back to Bethel here in, in Nashville, Tennessee, on the Sunday after 9-11, and I stood up and I said, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going to plant a congregation in Manhattan. And a man came out of our audience that I'd never seen before, uh, named Lynn Kesecker. I'll never forget Lynn. He looked at me, he said, uh, I have a theater that I'm affiliated with on Times Square. You can use it. And so within a month, we would do our services here, Bethel, uh, at that time, three services. Now we do two because we have a larger facility. Uh, but then we would fly to New York for a Sunday night service, and we did that for almost a year. And today that one congregation has turned into five congregations in the area. But I would stand on the stage there in Manhattan, and I would look into the faces of people that had lost loved ones or friends at the World Trade Center uh, a tragedy. And that was the question, why? Why would God let this happen? Where was God on September 11th? And there's a, there, there's a lot to say about that. There's a lot to say about the kind of world that God gave us the enormous opportunity to choose, to make choices, uh, to have real consequences to our actions. He didn't create us as robots. So while yet he is a God that that provides and, and blesses and does so many wonderful things, this 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 earth is inhabited by people like us that make choices. Animals don't have the same kind of transcendent uh, metacognition, as the psychologists call it, the ability to think about thinking and to have a moral dimension where what we do and what we say, those actions have consequences. But I could shorten down what I would say to them in New York City then and I say to us today. I would say atheism doesn't take away the pain. It just takes away the hope. And that's really what we have when we talk about crying out to God for help. We have hope. And in this message of help, and understanding what it is to cry for help, um, realizing that, that God does have the power. He is all-powerful, he is all-loving, but that doesn't mean that the situations we find ourselves in and the, and the crisis we find ourselves in don't require us to be involved. He helps us, he inspires us, he leads us, he's, I mean, the, the, the founders of modern science were people of faith. And the reason why they were was because they believed that the natural world was understandable. Einstein famously said, the most incomprehensible thing about the universe is that it's comprehensible. So God has given us a mind and an ability to think and to understand how to to, to study things out and to to see uh, illnesses and, and track them down and learn how to get vaccines. And yet at the same time, he also was a God that is able to intervene himself, not just through us and our actions, but also himself intervene. You know, people usually say everything, sometimes people will default to the the slogan, well, everything happens for a reason, as if that just somehow means we sit back and fatalistically let the world happen and let everything happen, as if God is somehow uh, causing these things to happen. No, he's not causing these things to happen. The Bible doesn't say he causes evil, but he can cause all things to work together for good for those that love him. So he's not the author of evil, but he can take whatever humans do and no matter what our actions are, and God can cause things to work together for our good. Uh, It was a famous uh, British comedian and actor named Stephen Fry who began to talk, uh, this clip went viral where he was asked on television about what he would do if he stood before God and uh, what would he say if he found out God was real? And he began this rant of saying things like bone cancer in children. How dare you? How dare you create a world of such evil that's not our fault, he said. And then he went on to say, he said, there's a disease, there's an insect that burrows into the eyes of a child and blinds the child. You know, what is that? And when I watched that clip I, uh, and talked to my friend Ming Wang here in Nashville, who's an eye surgeon. He began to describe, he said, well, that's a, that's a disease called, it's called river blindness or onchoceriasis. And that's primarily a result of human waste going into water and then we bathe in that water or swim in that water. So the response to Mr. Fry is, wait a minute, you're saying the evil is not our fault. You know, you could actually, you could actually give the entire world clean water for about $100 billion a year, according to the World Health Organization. $100 billion a year. And not only that, that for every dollar you spend giving clean water, you actually get $7 back in ancillary savings in terms of the health care savings and all the other repercussions that come from people having unsanitary conditions. So really, when we look at the world, we have to ask the question, is this really all this evil, the human side of evil, is it really, you know, we blame God about this or do we see our lives uh, having an impact, the, the negativity of human nature. See, I believe the existence of evil doesn't indicate the, indicate the absence of God from the world. It indicate, indicates his absence from our lives many times. And so we want to just talk, number one, about God has the power to help. When we ask for help, we have to, number one, understand God has the power to help. You know, scientists tell us that the universe came into existence uh, suddenly, what's called the Big Bang, which was actually a term coined by an atheist, maybe agnostic, uh, Fred Hoyle, who said, well, if you say the universe had a beginning, you're letting the divine foot in the door. So think about it. Scientists say 13.7 billion years ago, the universe goes from absolutely nothing into this you know, into this instant order. I mean, from the very beginning of the universe, physicists tell us that the laws of physics, let's say gravity, if you have a a knob for gravity on a universe starter kit, how much gravity do you put in a universe? If you put too much gravity in, the universe never, you know, gets out of the blocks. If you put too little, then molecules don't form, much less stars or galaxies. But the universe had this beginning out of nothing. And so the God, this powerful force, so to speak. And I use that advisedly, but this, this creator brings the universe into existence out of nothing. Not only that, but then we have this, this incredible information inside of us all. It's, in fact, if you look at, at our DNA, it's actually the world's longest sentence, over 3 billion letters long, ordered in sequence. That's the information in the human genome. I mean, if you're walking down the beach and you see your name written in the sand, you don't think, look at what the waves can do if given enough time. Information always points to intelligence. And so inside of our very DNA is information, pointing to the very phrase in Genesis, which I I love, when people say, well, where could that information have come from? Well, in the, the book of Genesis, it says, and God said. God is the one, the creator that interjects that information into the system but also we go to what we just celebrated last week. We celebrate Easter and that we see Jesus Christ who didn't just say he was a prophet. Any prophet that ever spoke would say the phrase, thus saith the Lord. Every prophet, whether it be Isaiah or Jeremiah, they would preface their remarks by saying, thus says the Lord. But when Jesus spoke, he didn't say, thus saith the Lord. He said, truly I say to you. It's because the Lord was speaking. You see, the amazing thing is is that this creator that began the universe, that spoke the information into the system, also became a man and lived among us. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And yet he goes to this cross, and historically, we we know the fact, we talked about this last week, the fact of history is, is that he died at the hands of Pontius Pilate, that his tomb is empty, as we celebrated last week. So God raised Jesus from the dead. So we have evidence in the resurrection that God intervenes in human history. And so if he intervenes in human history, that means he can be involved himself in our lives. So our cry is not to a a God that's not there. It's to a God that not only is there, but we have evidence that a God who understands our suffering, because at the cross, he took upon himself our pain and our suffering. But not only that, In fact, I brought a little prop here. This is a two-volume set by by Craig Keener, Dr. Craig Keener of Asbury Seminary. And it's a two-volume set on miracles. And he chronicles not only miracles These aren't just biblical miracles. These are the miracles that have happened in modern times. And he has them footnoted. He has MRI footnotes of of where there was MRIs that said, you know, there was a problem there, a cancer there, then it was gone. Two volumes of this. It's really an outstanding achievement to put all this in one place because many times when people talk about miracles, especially somebody on television, we think, well, this is just some kind of hype or there's no evidence for that. I commend to you, uh, and recommend to you Dr. Craig Keener from Asbury Seminary, a New Testament scholar, his uh, two-volume two set on miracles. So God has the power to help, but number two, he has, he's given us promises. You know, if you, if you open your Bible up, you'll find f- replete in the scripture, filled in the scripture are these promises of God willing to help. Uh, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Again, through the Psalms, probably more than any other book in the Bible, the Psalms have these references. Psalm 79, nine, help us, God our Savior, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your namesake. Psalm 108, save us and help us with your right hand that those who love you may be delivered. Or one of my favorites, Psalm 121, where it says, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord you know a few years ago uh, they discovered uh in hebrew it's called Ir david which is the city of david but basically they uncovered david's house king david who who wrote that and uh, i was sitting with the archeologist that um one of the main archaeologists that, that was on the dig over the years and dug, dug and uncovered this uh, city of David. And he said that um, basically the the Ottoman Turks, when they captured Jerusalem, they moved the trash gate at the dung gate and they moved it around and put it over this area, which was now, which was in ancient times, David's city. So they had to dig through trash to get there. And he said, I planted, I was sitting there in Jerusalem with him and he was pointing around. He said, I, I put all these flowers here, he said, because... He said, I can still in my mind smell the trash of what we had to dig through of centuries of trash to find this great discovery. But as I, as I stood on the place where David's house would have been and I looked to the hills, I can imagine David saying, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills uh, where does my help come from? You know, sometimes, you know, like on that, in that hillside, you would have a road that would bring, that the main travel would come into Jerusalem. And you would think to yourself, well, if my help is coming from anywhere, it's got to come through there. And David says, I will lift up mine eyes into the hills from where does my help come from? And then he realizes God is able to bring me help, not through an expected source, but through an unexpected place. And sometimes when we think God's gonna help us, we fixate on people or circumstances or things that will be the, the source of our help, not realizing that God can bring help from anywhere. And so he has the promise to help. And not only in, do we have those in the Psalms, but we have the New Testament promise that he will send the Holy Spirit, who in the book of John chapter 14 is called the helper. He says, I will send the helper and he will be with you and will be in you. So we have a greater promise than just external circumstances be being helped by the Lord, but to actually come and live inside of us. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 20, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 28, it says, the Spirit will help our weaknesses. For we don't know how to, how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself will intercede for us. Now, if we're asking the Lord for help, you know, the other little famous phrase that people like to use is they, they like to quote, you know, God helps those that helps themselves. That's, uh, I think, a quote from the book of Hesitations. God helps those that helps themselves. But, God, but there is a truth in the fact that when God is gonna help us, that we're involved. If I said, to you come help me move a piano and I just sit back and watch you do all the work, you'd say, wait, I'll help you. And so together in prayer, if if God's going to help us through our prayers, it means we pray he helps us. So something happens when we pray. There's promises like in Matthew where it says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. And so we're to be involved in prayer. And not only be involved in prayer, but then out of those prayers be willing to go and be the answer to someone's prayer. Many times when God helps us, he helps us through others. And so as we help others and reach out to them, then it's amazing how that law of sowing and reaping happens. We get helped ourselves. So there's the power to help. God has the power. The same God that brought the universe into existence has the power to help. Number two, that he gives promises about helping us. But I think finally is that there is a price to pay for getting God's help. You say, wait a minute, I I thought this was, You know, unconditional love. Well, that's true. It is unconditional, and there's this is not a physical price. There's not there's not money you give to get God's help. Number one, we have to turn to Him. You see, we've been praying through this crisis. Pastors around the world have been praying at seven fourteen in the morning and seven fourteen in the evening in this movement called Unite Seven Fourteen. And basically that it's a reference to 2 Chronicles seven fourteen that says, if my people who were called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. And so in this time of crisis, it causes us to stop and, and take inventory. The things in our lives that need to stop, their actions, there's practices that need to stop. And so number one, if you want God's help, the first step is usually not just just start asking him for something. I mean, if you've been if you've had a breach in your relationship with a spouse, you don't just start asking them for favors. Sometimes it's prudent to stop and say, you know, I, w- I really want to apologize. I-, I know we haven't really been on the best in the in the best of relationship, but before I begin to ask you for a favor or you know let's do this or that together, can I ask you for your forgiveness? Well, it starts that way with God. Maybe you've been estranged from him. Maybe you've not talked to him. Maybe you've kind of thrown him some prayers up, and if he doesn't come through on your timetable, then you said, I know he's not there. See, that's not the way it works. You have to turn to him in humility. You have to turn in him in honesty and say, God, I'm, I'm sorry for the estrangement. I'm sorry for the way I've ignored you. I'm sorry for the way I've lit my life for me and not for you. So number one in this time, turn to him. And honesty, it doesn't have to be some eloquent, theologically sound prayer. It can be, Lord, I I need your help to change. I see some things in my life that need to stop. I need to I need to start some things, not just stop, but to start new practices. So number one, turn to him. Secondly, then you trust him. You see, the Bible is filled with promises. Uh you know, my father was an honest man. Uh, his word was gold. He was he was the epitome of old school. When my dad told you something, you could count on it. When I graduated from Mississippi State University, my dad called me and he said, I bought you a car. It was a complete su- surprise. Now, when I hung up the phone, I didn't look out the window and say, well, where's the car? I don't see it. My roommate didn't come up and go, what do you mean you have a car? Where's your car? To me, because my father's word Was gold when he said I had a car, then I could bank on it. And I turned to my roommate and said, I have it. I don't know where it is, but I've got it. You see, I can understand faith in that same way because as much of an honest man as my dad was, how much more is God himself honest? And we can trust God's word because of what we saw him ultimately do at the cross by giving his son for our sins. And so we can trust him. So when we read the Bible, it's, it's, we find promises, let's just say for heaven or for eternity, that when someone dies, then that's not all there is. It's not just, well, they're just like another animal, that's just, you know, that's the, that's the end of them. No, that whoever dies, we'll see them again. We have confidence that that promise is not a false hope. I've stood at the graveside of many people that have lost their loved ones and and looked into the eyes of potential despair and and been able to say with confidence that you will see your loved ones again. There is a heaven. There There is a reality beyond this physical life because there's a God that exists beyond the physical, that brought the physical and material world into existence. At the very beginning of the universe, scientists tell us that matter and time and space had a beginning. And so that would say logically that the cause of that would be spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. That's our God. A God, is the, God is a timeless, spaceless creator. And so there's something beyond this existence, but that promise is something we can hold on to and not think that it's some false hope. But there are other promises. There are other promises that we don't have time today to get into, but promises that when you cry for help, when you begin to... Trust him. That means you open that Bible and you begin to read and study and find those promises. And then you do what he says. You know, if you go to the doctor, the doctor says, if you take this set of antibiotics or this set of of, uh, prescriptions, you'll get better. Well, do what the doctor says. When you open the Bible, it isn't enough to just have a nice coffee table Bible and say, you know, the Holy Bible, it's so holy, I wouldn't want to read it. Open that Bible up, read what God has to say, and then trust his instructions. And then finally, you tell him. You're honest. The Bible does say ask. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. You know, I started out, uh, Pastor James started out telling him about working on university campuses and And uh, dealing with skeptics, you know, my older brother uh, was in law school. His name is Ben. He was at law school at SMU in Dallas, and we both grew up in religious in a religious type of home. But you know, we were made to go to church, but no one took it seriously. My father would later say he wasn't a Christian; he just went to church. I kind of turned away and ignored it. But my brother became a very militant atheist, and when he found out. My third year at university, when I was at Mississippi State, that I'd become a Christian. He came home to talk me out of my faith. And my brother, Ben, began to study the Bible to find all the contradictions in it. And my parents left. We were living there. They live in Dallas. They left that weekend. And it was just my brother and me. He came home and he began to kind of turn to passages in the Bible to kind of mock them. And and, uh, basically, long story short, I looked at my brother and I said, you know, you have a lot of questions for God. I said, but he he has a question for you. I said, it's not what you don't know about him that bothers you, it's what you do know. You know God is holy. There's a sense, even in my atheist brother, there was a sense, a moral sense that some of the things he was doing, if not many of those things, there was this little moral law within him, a conscience. And the weekend that my older brother came home to talk me out of my faith, it was almost like I, I found a loose thread in his skepticism and I pulled and it just unraveled it. And on the weekend that my brother came home to talk me out of my faith, he asked to be baptized. And to this day, my brother's an attorney in Austin. He's a, he's a, a practicing attorney, but he's also a very solid believer, believes God's word is true. And so that was, the, that was kind of the motivation for me. My, my father came home and found out that what had happened to my brother, and at 57 years old, my father said this. He said, all my life, I pray that God would show me a miracle. And he said, I never thought it would happen. He said, but I think he finally showed me one in the form of my two sons. And he told my mother, he said, you know, I don't know much about the Bible or God. He said, but last night I got down on my knees and asked Jesus Christ to forgive me for my pride and my arrogance. And my dad was an all executive, very successful for an oil company called Sunoco. He was in in fact, in charge of their international exploration department. So he traveled all over the world. And yet at 57 years old, he got down on his knees and he humbled himself and said, I I need to to say I'm sorry. And I think many of you, that's where you are. And I know it's awkward. Listen, these are awkward moments. Uh, But you know what? We've probably seen enough of each other in this quarantine time to realize all of our faults and weaknesses. And so a moment of bowing your head or maybe even slipping down on your knees and saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm turning to you today. I'm asking you f- to forgive me. Not just for this moment, but Lord, I want to I want this promise of the Holy Spirit. I'm asking number 1, not for things, but I'm asking for your presence in my life. That you would come into my life, you would change my very nature as the Bible promises. That if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. The old things have passed away, the new things have come. That's what Jesus meant by being born again. We could be born again. We could have a new spiritual beginning. So I'm going to ask Pastor James to come back and, and, and pray. But I just, just right now, even before he prays this prayer, just you in your heart can say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I turn to you and I trust you today. For this day, from this day forth, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to not only turn to you, but I'm going to follow you and trust you and walk with you. That's the greatest help God can give you, is to give you Himself through His Spirit. Pastor James, come and pray for us. Pray for those that are
0: watching. Not only was that powerful and important and impactful, I know for a fact that God can use that message to impact your life right now, no matter what your situation, no matter what you're going through. Let me pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that everyone who has heard this message would know there's help. Whosoever call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whatever you need to be saved from right now, I pray you will call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Say, Jesus, help me. I believe in you. You're Lord of my life. Deliver me. Set me free. And whoever calls on you, Lord, free them save them, cause them to have eternal life. In Jesus name, amen. I pray that you prayed that prayer and that you feel the help of the Lord. You can pray that prayer over and over and over again. Help, I need your help, Lord. Well, we thank you so much for actually clicking on and participating in our ministry today. We pray that Lord will allow you to see us next week We're going to come with another encouraging word and continue to teach you to pray and teach you to commune with God. Thank you. See you soon.